We're with Jigna Doshi this morning. Thank you so much, Jigna, for joining us on the Light Breakfast for Growing Pains this morning. Oh, lovely to be here. Hi. So we're going to talk about the importance of early childhood education, especially for special mm-hmm. needs children this morning. Mm-hmm. So how important is early childhood education for special um, needs children? I'd say, well, for special needs children especially, it is very important because it's all about early intervention, um, getting them the right help at the youngest age possible instead of waiting it out till they're way older. It just gets more and more difficult to, uh, you know, get them the right help because they're so used to certain behaviors. So if a parent finds out usually at the age of two and a half or three, it's the best age for an earlier setting, especially an inclusive setting, because they are around typical children. They mimic uh, the behavior of typical children. Um, At school, at our place, they work with therapists and shadow aides you know, who help them correct a lot of their behavior patterns, emotional needs, sensory needs, just various things that they need help with. Okay. Oh, so they are in your school, They the special needs children are together with the typical children. They're not like in That's a separate right. class. No, they aren't. Um, we are a fully inclusive preschool. And I think um, one big reason why we see a huge success in the STEP program is because of the inclusive setting. They, they do often go to their pods to do uh, specific learning, but otherwise they are in an inclusive setting with other kids their age. Actually, what constitutes early childhood education? What's the age range? I'd say um, we take them in as early as three months, so as babies, and they go up to an age where they're ready to go to school. So if it's an international school, then at the age of five. If it's a national school, then at the age of seven. And you see that even the babies, you know, their development is huge. They do a lot of activities. Um, They learn social play and communication at a very young age because they are around other babies. Mm. And uh, when you see them develop compared to a toddler who comes in at 15 months and the baby at 15 months who's been with us for about a year, it's a huge difference. Wow. Okay. So even at three months old, there's learning to be had. Yeah. Yeah. There's music, there's eye contact, you know, they have the nurses talking to them and, you know, the expressions that they see. They get familiar with other faces. They're not shy, Mm. you know, because they start from such a young age. So a lot of uh, skills are developed at that age. But not all, it's it's relative, is it? Not all kids are receptive at the same time. And then like not all kids can handle that kind of education at three months, right? Um, I guess it's very environmental. If you were to put a three-month-old, let's say, at home with a helper for 10 hours a day while you're at work, that child is not getting the stimulus that, that they require. You know, they're probably talking to one helper, looking at four walls, watching some TV. Whereas at an early childhood center, they're with other babies, they're with nurses, they're with educators who know what uh, these children need at this age. And I think all our babies that I've seen so far, they, they react really positively. Um, they become toddlers who are really not shy. They're able to talk to older kids, younger kids, super confident creatures. Right. So it's very targeted 
growth and very targeted development for them. Yeah, yeah. We have milestones that we we look at and milestones that they should achieve at a certain age, and we provide the right environment for them to achieve those milestones at the right time. It's amazing what I could have done if I had been at three months. <laughs> Well, we can't turn back time now, but <laughs> but I mean, I've read that the first five years of a child's life is their formative years, right? So mm-hmm. how important are these first five years for any child, typical and special? Um, I, I, again, not look so much at academics because yes, academics would come in at some point in your life or in the child's life and they'll pick it up. But we like to look at social skills, um, in emotional development you know young kids if they're not in the right environment we see sometimes kids that come in at the age of four and they have been told uh, you're a boy don't cry um, you're not supposed to get angry they're not taught how to vent out their frustration or anger or disappointment so emotional development is a big part of early years curriculum that we we have emphasized on so it's social and communication development um, if the first five years are formed with these things in place, you have a personality that the child will probably carry on to young adulthood as well and not have to form these traits later. Okay. But what if, what happens if we don't send a child to school until they're like six or like only to primary school at seven? Will it be detrimental to their learning abilities? Um, I don't think so. I guess for academics, they might struggle for a bit while they catch up on it. They may have to rush through uh, things that they could have taken their time with if they had been to a preschool. So that factor comes in. Maybe their confidence level would be a bit lower because, you know, their friends around them have learned everything and they're far ahead. I guess those are very important things to look at as well because being a child of seven with low confidence and, um, you know, one who feels that he's not good enough is really not healthy as well. Mm. Um, some of them come in at the age of seven feeling really shy. They don't know how to make friends. And that's difficult to teach a seven-year-old. It's much easier to teach a two-year-old. What about, because uh, society-wise, I know a lot of parents who are like, wow, you really shouldn't send a kid to school so early. Yeah. You might stress them out. You might overburden them. Let them have fun. What do you yeah. tell parents who are like that? I guess they need to look for the right education partner. There are uh, traditional preschools out there that focus a lot on academics. There are a lot of schools out there like um, we do everything that's hands-on, project-based. There's a lot of teamwork. There is studying, but it's camouflaged within all these activities so a child doesn't feel stressed out. It may seem like play. So to a lot of adults, they'll be like, am I paying all this money for them to play? But they are learning a lot of skills. And uh, it's a very stress-free environment. Kids are so happy. During the lockdown, they were really upset that they couldn't go to school. And um, if you're a working parent, especially, you want to have a good educational partner that's taking care of the development of your child instead of about a helper or a nanny or, you know, grandparents who need their own time at this age as well. Mm. So you're basically priming their brains for future learning in a way, is it? Yeah. We're trying to open up their brains. We don't want to tell them that an elephant can't be read. 
you know, we, we really want their creative minds to open up. Um, we have four-year-olds who can tell you stories that will shock you because, you know, they're talking about dinosaurs and um, underwater submarines and, and they can put in so many things together because of how they've learned it in school. It's, it's more about general knowledge and going deeper into topics and really not about the ABCs and one, two, three. How about for a special child now, Jigna? Um, will it be too late to wait until they can like speak properly before sending them for special education? Especially for those who are on the spectrum because they, they do learn to speak at a later age. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so far with all the special needs children that we have had at school, um, they rarely talk. Uh, most of them have speech delay with their condition. And because of this, the parents can't really wait for them to form speech before coming to school. In fact, that's one of the things that we help them with um, at school. You know, we have uh, communication therapy and group communication therapy. We also have a muscle therapist to help them with their jaw muscles, to strengthen them, to enable them to speak. So most of them who have come in with no, um, uh, you know, no words at all have actually started speaking after coming on board with us. Hmm. Tell us a little bit more about this STEP program that you started at your, your preschool. Um, it was something we started about five years ago when we had a child who obviously uh, had delays and we didn't know much about it. And it was with that child that we felt that, okay, there are so many children who need help, um, but who aren't really always accepted at preschool. Mm. So we started off this department with a lead therapist and a group of shadow aides. And what they do is they come up with an individualized program for each child uh, according to their needs. You know, things like uh, life skills, even putting on their clothes, going to the toilet, feeding themselves asking and requesting for things um, and the academics come in slowly so each child's program is tailored around their specific needs and it's changed every term we uh, work together with parents really closely so that what's done at school and at home is the same thing and we see amazing progress so many of the children have gone on to primary schools right now and they're doing really well in typical schools uh, mostly in international schools okay. within departments. They do need support for the first few years of their primary school life. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the oldest one that they've had has gone on to primary three right now. Okay. But um, how much more difficult is it to be a special needs teacher? What are some of the qualities that a special needs teacher must possess? Definitely a lot of empathy, uh, way, way more than a you know, a typical teacher. You sometimes have, um, you know, um, adults who have had different degrees and who want to be a teacher because of the love of teaching and being with children. Mm -hmm. But for a special needs teacher, um, they do need specific knowledge. They do need a specific degree to understand um, the child's psychology really well. They need loads of patience. Um, The teacher, the therapists that we have are, are there because they really want to make that difference. It's just not a job. Yeah, because I, I believe we don't have enough special needs teacher or teacher teachers in Malaysia who are able to cater to children with spe- special needs. 
Yeah, I think it's still quite recent. I think it's in the last 10 or 15 years that there's more awareness than, you know, parents. Uh, initially, we would see a lot of adults who are in denial, you know, that their children have a delay. But now we, we see parents coming in, you know, recognizing that there is a delay, you know, let's work together to solve it. So there are more teachers coming out. But yeah, it is, it is not as, as fast as I would have hoped for it to be. How about for yourself? Like, um, was it that one particular student who inspired you to want to pursue this? to help the special um, needs kids? Yeah, yeah. after that student, we had a few other inquiries, parents coming in with their children with special needs and delays, and they would tell us they've been to other schools and they're not being accepted. And I think that, that really drove us to, to do this and you know to do as much as we can to help integrate children. Okay. Now, is there such a thing, Jigna, as um, early intervention? Is there such a thing such as early intervention for special needs children? And will this early intervention help with their future learning capabilities? Yes, definitely. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the earliest that they come in is usually two and a half, three when they've been diagnosed. And if early intervention is done at that age in terms of several different things, you know, uh, we have the individualized education program, you have occupational therapy, you have speech therapy, you have play therapy. And if all of that is started at that young age, it, it goes a long way um, than starting at a much older age. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it truly changed uh, a lot of their lives. Because if you don't get it at school, you will have to go out to other places to get these therapies done, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You could go to centers that are um, just for special needs children. So, you know, they have therapists who work one-on-one -on, -one on these different skills. All that they don't get there is working with typical children. They're not around typical children. Why do you think it's important for special needs children to be around typical children? I think integration and inclusiveness is something that we really need to catch up on as a country. Um, we've got countries like Australia, the UK, the US, where each school is inclusive. And, and it's, it's a child's right to be in an inclusive setting. It's, it's a school's job to cater to all children. I mean, if you look at typical children, not everyone's on the same page either. You do have some children who are slightly slower, slightly faster. If we can cater to them, I don't see why we shouldn't be catering to all children. So it's actually even more important in many ways that typical children be exposed to kids with special needs because then they learn how to, how to um, live around them and work around them and learn around them as well, is it? Yeah, and, and be more, um, you know, empathetic towards them. Like what we have is we have a buddy system in classes. So each special needs child has a buddy uh, who is a typical child. And I think what has happened is the rest of the kids understand uh, inclusiveness much better than a lot of adults do. They understand that each uh, friend may have different needs. Each child is different. Um, they end up helping that friend way more. They include them in play, even if that child doesn't know how to ask. And I feel these are the kids who may go on to primary schools and not end up becoming bullies. They may, uh, you know, understand um, their friends much better. For special needs kids 
at such a young age, right? What's the most important thing to teach them? Is it more of um, life skills at that point yeah, when they're do, that young? We usually start off with life skills. Yeah, that that's usually the first thing because as a parent, I guess I would have done everything for my child since uh, from the time they're born. And when they go to a preschool, that's the time where we uh, try to teach them life skills, um, going to the toilet independently, even asking for the toilet, um, and then feeding themselves, wearing their clothes. And then we work on sitting tolerance so their attention span slowly gets better so they're able to take part in lessons and you know not get destructive and run around. Um, so we work on it one by one. But yeah, the first thing would be life skills. Can you share with us a story of a a success story from your school of a special needs kids who came in not knowing mm-hmm. a single thing at all, but when um, he or she left school, he was ready to take on primary school? Yeah, so this this one child is really really close to my heart. He came in and um, nobody knew what you know that that he had special needs, and you know he was constantly frustrated and angry at the world and he didn't know how to deal with it he would bite and kick and you know roll and he was just so angry all the time and when we realized that something's uh, to be looked at we talked to the parents a couple of times the parents did spend some time in denial they weren't really um, happy to accept that and um, he even moved so he went to another school for about six months and after that he came back to us and the parents said you know he's just getting worse over there he's just being just to a corner of the classroom and they're like yes we do understand that there is something that we have to help him with and then he stayed on with us for about three years and um, at the end of three years he could talk in full sentences he could uh he could control his behavior. So when he was angry, he would end up taking a pillow and hitting the pillow instead of hitting a friend. And after a few months, even that went off. He could just verbalize that I'm feeling really angry. Someone give me a hug. And he changed so much. And uh, he's doing really well. He's in primary two right now in an international school. Wow. Must make you feel really proud that you helped make yeah. that happen. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. We're still in touch and I get regular updates and he's doing really well. Can I ask you, because I know a lot of parents are big on technology with their kids and they, they learn a lot of stuff from, from, from a tab and whatever. Do you use a lot of technology when it comes to teaching these young kids, even no. those with special needs? No, no. We, we, have, uh, we use 15 minutes of technology a week. That's the maximum cap teachers are allowed to use and even those 15 minutes are usually around the lesson that they're teaching or something that they need to show them i think i think kids watch enough technology or they use enough technology <laughs> at, at home, home right <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. right uh, jigna what what advice would you give to parents then of children with special needs who maybe might not be able to afford all these special education and therapies that are required for them to function? Yeah, well, it it does seem like a very long and lonely road. Um, We don't have much awareness um, in Malaysia yet, but there are a lot of support groups. Uh, It would be great for them to, you know, talk to others who are going through that. 
um, it would be good. There are some short courses available for educators and parents as well to better understand the condition so that they can help their child better. And uh, that's the start. You know, they're able to do a lot of things at home with that and then move on to other things slowly. We are hoping to open a non-profit school for special needs soon. I don't know when, but hopefully that comes up and it'll be more affordable for, for parents to get help too. Any last words to parents of children with special needs? Just hang in there. Um, talk, talk, talk to people. Get help. Don't, don't feel like you're alone because... I see that a lot, that they really feel that there's no one else who would understand them. So great if they can reach out and join groups, talk to someone um, who can help better support them. How about those parents who are still in denial that there's anything mm. wrong with their child? Um, I think it's just great to keep looking at red flags that may be popping up and maybe... Because now families are very nuclear. You're not able to always compare your child's development with another child, especially if they're not going to school. So it's often difficult to tell if there is a problem. Look out for development uh, red flags. If your child is ticking at least three or four of those, just get help, seek an opinion, be a professional and, and, you know, go from there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jigna, for this very inspiring chat. All the best you. uh, with your preschool moving thank forward. You. Hopefully, that nonprofit will be up soon as well. Yeah. It will definitely help a lot more special needs children out there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>